just up the road, uh, not too many miles away from here. Uh, I'm sure you Lincolnshire folk will know it. You've probably been there many times. Pouched um, on the top of a hill is Lincoln Cathedral. Wendy and I have been there once, only the once. Our visit was very brief for reasons that I'll explain in a moment. But my recollection as uh, we went in through the entrance was that the first thing that catches your eye is the cathedral shop. Of course, it's selling religious stuff, so I suppose that makes it all right then, does it? And and then you get to the actual cathedral itself and they ask you to pay five pounds, I think it was, to go in. And that's when we turned around and came away again. But I was just thinking about that. Uh, I thought that would not be that much different, would it, in principle, from the scene that confronted the Lord Jesus towards the end of his ministry. Now he comes to the temple of God and he describes it as something not any less really than a marketplace, a place of buying and selling. And he's indignant uh, and he cast out from the temple precincts all the buyers and sellers and the merchant men uh, and the money changers and so on and so forth. It's not actually the first time he had to do this. Uh, John's Gospel put such an activity at the beginning of his ministry. And of course those who want to criticise the Bible and say you can't rely on it say there it is, a good example uh, Matthew and John have got it wrong between them. Uh, you don't need to believe that at all. That, that is just so ridiculous. The fact is, the sad fact is, Jesus had to do it twice. Uh, and that's a very sad reflection, isn't it, on religious life in Jerusalem at the time. But here he is, uh, and that's the scene that confronts him. That's what the house of God has become. What has happened here? Well, it's like this. this, There are a number of religious festivals that the Jews were required to attend during the course of the year. The biggest one, the most important one, was the Feast of the Passover. That was due very shortly from Jesus' visit to the temple. And of course, in those days, under the Old Testament regulations, if you were going to worship God in his temple in Jerusalem then you're required to bring a sacrifice. And of course you're also required for it to come from all parts uh, of the world to do that if you were a Jew. So you've got lots and lots of travellers coming up to Jerusalem all with the requirement to produce something for a sacrifice to be offered in the temple. And if you were a rich man you would bring maybe a calf or a lamb if you were not so rich, then you could bring a couple of pigeons or something like that. So you had to bring those with you. But then you see there were some enterprising entrepreneurs there in Jerusalem who saw there's a niche in the market here. Uh, these poor people are having to bring these, this livestock from who knows how far away. Oh, what we'll do is we'll do them a favour and, and we'll buy and sell such offerings here actually in the temple itself for their convenience, and of course, um, for their own profit. (laughs) And and also, you were required to bring your tithes, your your 
offerings, money offerings to the temple. And again, from all parts of of the uh, Roman Empire where there were Jews who were settled, had to come. Some of them used different currency from what was required in Jerusalem itself. So again, the money changers thought here is an opportunity. We will make life easier for them. They can change their currency here. Of course, there will be a bit of a markup for us in the process. And that's what's happened. A place of sacrifice has certainly become a place of sacrifice, but it's not, it's not the uh, market holders who are making the sacrifice at all, is it? They're making a nice little profit from it. And the Lord Jesus is absolutely furious. This is what you have made the house of God become. Uh, and and that, 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 is, that is a fearful tragedy, alas, that I'm afraid um, is just around today in many, many ways, many different guises. That which is dedicated for the worship of God has become uh, a marketplace. Um, I, I read to my astonishment some months ago that Norwich Cathedral has erected a helter-skelter in the middle of the uh, cathedral. I mean, the mind boggles, doesn't it? But uh, it's, it's, it's the same situation, isn't it? Uh, and, and the tragedy, of course, of this is that the house of God has not become any longer a place for people. It's become a place to make a nice little profit. People as people are disregarded. Uh, it's only their wallets that they're interested in. And so Jesus turfs them out and the place has become empty, an empty, echoing space. And then you get this this delightful little cameo. I just love this so much. You may have noticed it. Jesus has turfed all these people out of the temple. Then we read in verse 14 here, Matthew 21, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And he healed them. See, up to now, they've been out in the cold. There's no place for them. They've got no money. Uh, That was a sad fate for those who, in that sort of condition in those days, they had no money. Uh, The the, uh, merchants had no interest in them, no place for them in the house of God. But now, now they can come, and they do. And I, I just got this... They've got enough imagination to visualize this. Uh, here, here comes an aged grandfather, white beard. His eyes have got cataracts, so he, his vision is very dim, and he's led along by his little granddaughter, and he comes into the temple courts. Uh, and here's another man. Uh, you can hear the tap, tap, tap of his crutches. He's a cripple, but he hobbles along into the house of God. Here's a man who's paralyzed. He's got four friends who are carrying him in on a blanket. And they bring the blind and the lame, they bring them to the Lord Jesus, and he healed them. What a day for them. They come with their disabilities, with their needs, with their uh, terrible conditions, and they go away healed. What rejoicing there must have been in the hearts uh, of those folk uh, on that day. Uh, and and it's, 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 it is for us uh, a reminder that as Jesus cleans it up from all that is unworthy, all that is worldly, he cleans it up and now it becomes a place 
what it was designed to be, a place for the people of God. It is now what it was meant to be in the first place, the house of God. Where is God? Solomon, as he uh, dedicates the Old Testament temple that he was privileged to build, uh, says this, um, um, will God indeed dwell upon the earth? Indeed, the heaven, the heaven of the heavens cannot contain you. And yet is encouraged to believe that God has pleased to presence himself here on earth and the temple of the Lord was filled with the Lord's glory. God has come. God has come. Where is God? See, Jesus was given another name, wasn't he, apart from uh, Jesus. He used to save his people from their sins. He was also called Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. God here. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sharing all the divine attributes, is here in person, in a physical place. There he is. And the consequence of that is, in that place, God was there in the person of his Son. My dad used to tell a story uh, he was preaching one weekend in a church in the northeast of, of England. Uh, and it was, uh, there was some occasion for him and the pastor of the church there to come to the chapel during the afternoon for some reason or another. I, I don't remember what it was. Uh, and so as, as they walked through uh, the chapel building itself, uh, it was Sunday afternoon, Sunday school, uh, and the door opened to the Sunday school room and a teacher came out with the, a little girl who'd been feeling a bit unwell. So she'd taken the little girl out to get her a glass of water. And the nearest place there was a tap to get a glass of water for the little girl was the pastor's vestry, like, like out there. Uh, and so the teacher went to take the little girl into the vestry and the little girl said, oh, we can't go in there. Why not? God lives there. <laughs> well, in her little mind, that's, that's what she perceived. But, but there, there is a real truth there, isn't there? A real truth. Because that is where the pastor and the deacons would meet together for prayer before the service. And when that happens, that is where God is, isn't it? So she has got the right of it. Where is God? God is here in this place where Jesus is, where he is amongst his people. And what marks the place where God is and where Jesus is? Acts of mercy and compassion and healing. The house of God. The church is the place where there should be love and sympathy and compassion and if there is no such, then it's not a church. Whatever else it might be, it is not a true church. Because that's what Jesus Christ brings with him. And he is God. 
the house of God. But it's also a house of prayer. You'll notice what, what Jesus said in his rebuke to those who were the money changers and so on and so forth. He said, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. A house of prayer. What does that mean? It's a place of coming. And it's a place of asking. And it's a place of seeking. And it's a place of knocking. A house of prayer. Not a place to rip people off and steal their money. A place to seek God. A place for supplicants. A house of prayer. A place for thanksgiving and worship. But a place to ask God's blessing. A place for supplicants. You see, before Jesus cleaned the temple, there was no place for these poor people. They're outside in the cold. No money to be made out of them. Now it's empty. Jesus stands in the middle and they feel free to come to him in all their respective needs. And they're not failed. None of them goes away unhealed. Uh, and that, that, that is, you know, that is how uh, we are to view what we understand by church. It's a place to come and pray. It's a place to come and lay all your respective needs before the throne of grace. And to be assured of mercy. That's what happens. Because that's what happens where Jesus Christ is. And he is God. And it is a place to come to him and cast yourself upon his mercy. It's also a house of meeting. (laughs) It's strange how things happen over the centuries, how words change their meanings and so on and so forth. So today we have buildings like this one. Uh, and, uh, and there are other many such buildings up and down the length and breadth of the country and they go by all sorts of names some call themselves cathedrals some call themselves um, minsters I don't know where that comes from you've got a minster in Dewsbury um, all sorts of different uh, uh, titles are given to the place that is generally perceived to be the church so if you stop somebody in the street um, and say, where is the church? They will say, it's that building over there. That one with a spire and bells or that simple, unadorned little building uh, that we call the chapel. Uh, And if they're a bit more clued up, they'll say, what church do you mean? Do you mean the Methodist church or do you mean the Church of England or the Baptist church and so on? But that's the response you'll get, isn't it? That, in the minds of most people, is what the church is. And we have to give a name to the building where we meet, so we, we call it a chapel, and uh, that's, that's fine, that's fine. We have to call it something, don't we? But, but the old, you know, our forebears used to talk about the house of meeting. Uh, and, you know, that's always struck me as just a perfect description. This was now a place. It was a, a, a building in Jerusalem, an ornate building, a place of wonder in its architecture. But that's all it was, very pleasing to the eye, but that's all it was, uh, unless God is there. Then it becomes different. It becomes a place 
where the architecture means nothing. And it's a place now where Jesus is. And so they come in all their needs and they come to meet him, to be with him. And they're welcomed. I I can see his arms spread wide to receive these poor people, the blind, the lame, the needy. I can see the smiles on his face. I can see... I can see the joy and wonder with which they go away at the end of their encounter with the Lord Jesus. I don't know. Um, The the, the truth is, of course, you know, when you read the Bible, we do need to be clear about this. Uh, And the the word church is used quite often in the New Testament, but it never actually ever means a building. In fact, they had no buildings as such. In those early days, they met in homes, by and large. It never, it never ever means a building. It always means people, an assembly of people. Uh, and that, in essence, is what the church is. However else you like to describe the actual building, uh, the church, according to the word of God, is people coming together. Meeting with their God, meeting with their Saviour, the house of meeting. And, and now it's, of course, now it's been cleaned up. They come to meet with the Lord Jesus Christ. There, there are, of course, different aspects to what we understand uh, for the New Testament as far as the church is concerned. We know it's a place of worship, of course it is. Uh, and it's a place where God is in the person of his son. How else can you come but worship him? It, it, it's described as the repository of the truth. Truth is very Truth is cru- crucial. It is the place of truth. It's a place where the truth is heralded, proclaimed, declared. It's your pastor's task, isn't it, to do that? It's all of those things, quite so. But you see, at the end of the truth, the end of the, at the end of the day, if you come and present yourself in a place like you've done this morning, on this Lord's Day morning, uh, and you've heard the truth, I trust I heard the truth declared, you've worshipped, you've stood and sung your praises, you've joined with me as we draw near to the throne of grace, you've worshipped God, you've done those things, uh, you've been presented with the truth. But, you see, if you haven't met with Jesus, then there's little value to it, is there? Little value to it. Um, And and, and so, well, this is what every pastor would pray, wouldn't he? Every preacher would pray, or that they might go away having met with the Lord. Uh, And I, I couldn't ask for anything more for you than that, could I? go away saying, yes, we met with the Lord this morning in the meeting place. (laughs) One last thing that I think, you know, is taught us here is that it's a house of healing. (laughs) A house of healing. Because that's what happened, isn't it? They come, these poor blind, these poor lame, these cripples, they come, their sight, they go, their sight restored, they, 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 they go, uh, their limbs made whole. And they come uh, and they go away healed. 
That's what the Lord Jesus has done. There's, there's an old hymn. <laughs> it's not in our hymn books now, but uh, it, it's, worth, it's worth just recalling it. Jesus is a wise physician. Do you know this one? Some of you older folks will know it. Jesus is a wise physician, skillful and exceeding kind. Through him, sinners find remission and enjoy sweet peace of mind. Moved with tenderest compassion, uh, he relieves the wounded heart. And the richest consolation his blessed spirit doth impart. This physician understandeth all disorders of the soul. And no payment he demandeth while he makes the wounded whole. What though bad is your condition, and your wounds you can't endure, he, the sinner's wise physician, will effect a perfect cure. Wounded we are, wounded by our sins, our various physical ailments, you can bring them to the Lord, of course, uh, and we pray for healing, and we are right to ask for it. Um, uh, and sometimes in his great mercy, God gives us wonderful examples of where he actually does that physically. But it's not your greatest problem. It's not your deepest need. It is your soul, your sinful soul, that is the worst condition. Because your physical ailments will weaken you and have an impact upon your life but a soul that is stained in sin wounded by sin faces a lost eternity it is by far the most serious condition that is our condition uh, that there is no escape from it. Uh, it it is part of our human nature fallen human nature and it will express itself and it has done in all sorts of ways things we say, the things we think, the things we do, the rebellion against our creator. Uh, and, and, and the scripture is quite blunt. All have sinned, come short of the glory of God. No exceptions here this morning. I'm sorry, I don't know whatever you think about yourself. Uh, maybe as a respectable person, I'm sure you are. I wouldn't question that for one moment. But I just have to say to you, this is what God says. All have sinned. And that is the deepest wound. And we need that healing, don't we? We need that dealing with. And Jesus is the wise physician. So here in the, Old Te in the New Testament account, we, we have, we have a, an illustration, a, a picture uh, of that which Jesus came to do above all other things. To heal sin-sick souls. Uh, and that's where we are this morning. All of us, that's where we are. And that's what we need. And some of you, I trust most of you, will be rejoicing in the truth of that. There is that healing. And you've found it. I don't know if that's true for all of you. It's not given to me to know that. And you're in the right place, aren't you? I mean, where, you, you couldn't be in a better place. You're at a place where Jesus is, according to his own gracious promise, where he is, and he comes with healing in his wings. 
and your soul can be cleansed before him. If you will come, if you will come, as they came, they came, you notice, they came to him. You don't have to get up and uh, blindly find your way into the house of God or come along on your sticks or whatever. But you come, you come where you are and you humbly, penitently just cast yourself upon his mercy and you wait for his gracious, compassionate healing. And if you come earnestly longing, that's what you'll find. And you'll go away a sinner saved by grace. Ah, that's such that's such a privilege for any preacher to be able to say any Sunday morning or evening. Uh, and it, 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 is, it is something you can know. So I'm pleading with you. Just come. But it is something for all of us here. There really is something for all of us here because, you know, maybe... Maybe, you know, you're saying to yourself in your heart, uh, I, I, even as a Christian, you're saying, well, I, you know, I don't see so well. I don't see so well, that's why I wear these things. <laughs> but it's not that we're talking about, is it? You, do you remember how it was when, when first you came to the Lord? Do you remember how vibrant it was? It's almost as if you could reach out and touch him. The Lord, he was so dear to you, so precious, you couldn't stop but talk about him, but, you know, the years roll on, don't they? Uh, and the cares of distraction of this life, you know, they sort of crowd in, don't they? And then there's Satan in the wings just waiting, to, you know, to probe the wounds. What makes you think? What gives you the idea you're a Christian? Uh, and so it piles in upon us, and, and so somehow our sight gets dimmed, doesn't it? That, that glorious first sight of faith of the Lord Jesus, it, it's not as it was. Oh Lord, restore my sight. That's a prayer to make in a place like this. Oh Lord, restore my sight, restore to me the joy of my salvation that once I knew. Or maybe you, you're saying, well, you know, I'm just limping along, really. Um, I, I just find this Christian life such a struggle, and I've got all these other things that are, you know, impacting upon my life. And it's, it's a real, real struggle. I'm only limping along. And, and, I, and I, I need something of my spiritual vigor restored. And here's the place, isn't it? <laughs> because the lame come. And they go away walking freely. And that would be, that would be such, such a, a joyous experience for you this morning, wouldn't it? There's this crippling weight upon my soul, the sins that I, they seem to get on top of me. Lord, I, 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 need, I need some help. I need some renewed strength here. And, and, and that's, that's what he offers so freely in his house where he is. These are the conditions he deals with. And, and, and I say again, this is the place to come to. I, we've been through a difficult time. 
And of course, there, there was a period, wasn't there, when we were denied the opportunity to meet together. Now, there are various views and opinions about that, and I don't want to go into that. This way, the, the, the reality is, though, there is, there is such divine wisdom in the provision of God, in, in the commandment of God, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Uh, and I, I don't see how you can read that in any other way than physical presence. I know we thank God for the technology that enabled us to at least have a measure of fellowship across the internet. But it's no substitute, is it? It's no substitute. And, and thankfully, thankfully, you know, we're, we're done with that now, aren't we? And here is this mandate. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And God who is wise, God who has made us, he knows that we're actually gregarious people. We're not meant to live our lives on our own. We're meant to share together. And just the privilege, the privilege of church fellowship is such a precious privilege. But above all, you see, this, whatever else you might say about the other means in which God can graciously deal with us, and he does, he's not confined or restricted at all, there is something special about being in the Lord's house on a Lord's Day morning amongst the people of God. Because Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am in the midst. Two or three gathered in my name. I don't see how you can interpret that in any other way than a physical coming together. So here's the place where he is. It would be a tragedy to go out this morning and not realise that. You've met willy-nilly, like it or not, you've met with him because he always keeps his promise. How sad it would be to go away and not having known the reality of that in your life. Healed, restored, forgiven. Well, we're here by the grace of God. And he is here, the house of God, the house of prayer, the house of meeting, the house of healing. Uh, and, well, my prayer is that you might know that, every one of you, in a real way, this morning. Amen.